The topic tonight, the new and everlasting covenant, is probably the most important topic that we can cover because it is the essence of the gospel. It is the essence of how we need to be saved. So I'm really excited to go over this. We're going to explore a lot of scriptures. And if you feel like it's a lot, uh, it's because it is the most important and prominent thing. And so it's going to be everywhere. My goal isn't to show you everything in the scriptures, even though it might feel like that a little bit. Uh, It's meant to be a tool that you can use to dive in deeper because this study on this topic will never end. And that is what is really beautiful and exciting about uh, the New and Everlasting Covenant once we understand what it is. So tonight we will take a little bit of a look at what it is by definition in the scriptures. We're going to see that it's like putting together a small puzzle with a few pieces. Uh, we don't have a proper scripture that uh, lays out a nice dictionary or glossary uh, description or definition, uh, but by just putting a couple of scriptures together, it becomes really clear. And that's really important to understand when we're going over this. Uh, the whole idea here with the everlasting covenant is to become God's covenant people. It's, it's the idea of promising God one thing so that he can in turn promise us something else. That is the whole idea of a covenant. And hopefully we're all on the same page to start off there. That That's the idea of, an, of a covenant. I promise one thing to God. God promises something back, and that is what we are trying to unfold tonight in the scriptures. To start off, we're going to read this amazing quote. Uh, this is reported by John Taylor. So this is from Joseph Smith. He said, he said that he heard Joseph say, you'll have all kinds of trials to pass through and it's quite necessary for you to be tried as it was for Abraham and other men of God. And said he, God will feel after you and he will take hold of you and wrench your very heartstrings. And if you cannot stand it, you will not be fit for an inheritance in the celestial kingdom of God. He will feel after you and wrench your very heartstrings. Uh, that's that's a little bit uh, scary. I remember when I first heard that. I remember when I first heard that. I think I was like a teenager, probably in seminary or something. And here, let's see. New and Everlasting Covenant. I did that with a rainbow glitter pen on the board. So it looked kind of like rainbowy, like our cover. So this quote, we're going to come, <laughs> we're going to come back to this, but it's all about sacrifice. Okay. So this, this notion of sacrifice is really important. And we see with Joseph's statement here, he's got, so I'm going to write this phrase. It's as um, frightening and morbid as it sounds. Wrench your heartstrings.
Now, this is going to be really helpful and important uh, throughout the evening. So it's the first thing I want on here as we talk about this. Now, last night as I'm scrolling Facebook, a friend of mine had shared someone's tweet in their uh, Facebook stories. And it was so fitting because it was exactly the nature of the, of tonight's discussion. So I, I'm going to, I wish I could show you the tweet, but I just took a screenshot of it. So, uh, Kang Min Lee, uh, at the Kang Min Lee, this was the, the screenshot of what he showed. Following Jesus will cost you something. Okay, following Jesus will cost you something. If it hasn't cost you anything, you're not following Jesus. You're following a fabricated version of Jesus, concocted from your idolatry of comfort and safety. That, <laughs> what? What? That's crazy. Uh, because that is pointing to the same thing. It's pointing to this exact same notion that we're talking about here. In fact, oh, I th- actually, I think I can pull it up. There's the tweet. I'm going to read it again because it, it's uh, it's it's really good, and we'll, we're going to be coming back to this ties right into Joseph's quote. Following Jesus will cost you something. If it has not cost you anything. You're not following Jesus. You're following a fabricated version of Jesus concocted from your idolatry of comfort and safety. Now, uh, I beg your pardon for reading a tweet instead of scriptures, but I thought it was so uh, so pertinent to the lesson and so well stated. I just wanted to quote it. So, Kang Min Lee, thank you. I don't know you. And if you watch ever watch this video... I appreciate your insights. Absolutely brilliant. Uh, but but look at the last statement there. Your idolatry of comfort and safety. So, as uh, as we come back to this idea here, let me pull up the whiteboard again. As we come back to this idea, Joseph's saying God's going to feel after you and wrench your very heartstrings. Remember, it's talking about the sacrifice of Abraham, tried even as Abraham, it says. So looking at this, I'm going to zoom out over here. This is in juxtaposition to this idea over here, as he says, Idolatry of comfort and safety. Oh, zoom in on that. The idolatry of comfort and safety. That is the antithesis of the new and everlasting covenant, and the new and everlasting covenant is the whole notion of discipleship, which is what he's talking about. So I hope to burn this in our minds as we're watching and listening tonight, or if you're watching this replay, comfort and safety versus something very uncomfortable, God reaching after us and rending 
our heartstrings, right? That um, actually sounds very painful. So let's start diving into the scriptures then. So the new and everlasting covenant, we're going to look at some of these scriptures to put the pieces together, section 40. Let's look at this brief little story. Now, we could go back uh, a section or two to learn a little bit more about James Coville, who gets converted, uh, but this this summarizes it for us. Verily I say unto you that the heart, there it is again, heart, we're going to be coming back to that. The heart of my servant, James Coville, was right before me, for he covenanted with me that he would obey my word. And he received the word with gladness, but straightway Satan tempted him, and the fear of persecution and cares of the world caused him to reject the word. Look at that. Look at that. <laughs> That's exactly what we just read. The idolatry of comfort and safety, the fear of discomfort, a.k.a. persecution, and the cares of the world, safety, caused him to reject the word. I mean, I'm just kind of fitting that. I'm kind of fitting that in there. Uh, But you can see that it applies. Wherefore, as a result of this, that's the wherefore, he broke my covenant, and it remaineth with me to do with him as he with me good. So here we have the Lord introducing to us the phrase, my covenant. And then yet his heart was right before me. And let's add that as we're compiling this. So again, we have heart. Again, we're going to keep coming back to this over and over again. And then the Lord says, my covenant And then the way he describes it was, obey my word. So that is extremely important as we're trying to piece together the definition of the new and everlasting covenant. So tonight, hopefully, we clarify not only what it is, but what it is not. And that will be uh, extremely valuable. So his heart was right before me. Now, we see the idea of the idolatry of comfort and safety, uh, which we have right here, juxtaposed, juxtaposed. Oh, it disappeared. It's okay. Can't and can't emphasize this enough because this is the trap that the natural man. Look at this natural man, comfort and safety. That is so natural man, which is going to play a part in this. So he covenanted that he would obey my word. This. This notion, we see this in scriptures quite thoroughly. Uh, we're going to look at a few examples in the Book of Mormon. Mosiah 18.10, for example, helps illustrate this all over the Book of Mormon, actually, and that's going to be super prevalent. So, Alma, at the waters of Mormon, I say unto you, if this be the desire of your hearts, a.k.a. be a witness of God, Comfort those standing to comfort, all these things, the, the long list right above it in the few verses prior. If this be the desire of your hearts, what have you against being baptized in the name of the Lord 
as a witness before him that ye have entered, here it is, entered into a covenant with him that ye will serve him and keep his commandments that he may pour out his spirit more abundantly upon you. All right, so here it is, uh, keep, serve him, keep his commandments. So a servant, a servant to obey the Lord, if you're going to serve the Lord, you have to obey his word, which is what we just barely uh, got from section 40, the lesson from James Covell. Okay, so to serve, so we have serve him, So obey my word. So now we're going to add serve him. That's the same thing. And keep his commandments. Same thing. Same thing. So we're starting to define this covenant, God's covenant, entering covenant with God. And we start to paint a proper picture. It might be a little bit hard to see New and Everlasting Covenant on there. But you know it's there. So let's take another example. Still in Mosiah, chapter 5. These people. Mosiah, chapter 5, verses 5 through 9. And we get a story of people who also did the same thing. And we get a a little bit clearer idea of what we just read. We're willing to enter into a covenant. Here it is. With our God to do his will. So now we have another phrase, same thing. To do his will, be obedient to his commandments. There it is again. Keep his commandments. Be obedient to, to his commandments in But look at the description. In all things that he shall command us all the remainder of our days, that we may not bring upon ourselves never-ending torment. Uh, Verse 6, now these are the words which King Benjamin desired. He said, ye have spoken the words I desired, and the covenant which ye have made is a righteous covenant. Righteous covenant. Because, verse 7, of the covenant which ye have made, ye shall be called the children of Christ or his sons and his daughters. For behold, this day he spiritually begotten you. Your hearts, there it is again, hearts are changed through faith on his name. Therefore, you are born of him and become his sons and daughters. And under this head, ye are made free. There's no other head you can whereby you can be made free. There's no other name whereby salvation cometh. Therefore, I would that ye should take upon you the name of Christ, all you that have entered into the covenant with God, that ye should be obedient unto the end of your lives. And whoso doeth this shall be found at the right hand of God. In other words, shall be saved. For he shall know the name by which he is called, for he shall be called by the name of Christ. Well, that is the same thing. Well, let's add, let's add first. Let's add here. So we have... We have in this thing, same words, but now we have uh, do his will. So we need to add that because the rest of the verbiage was basically the same. But we need to add do his will. Okay, so let's add that here. Keep his commandments, do his will. Uh, 
Now, the keep his commandments part, um, I'm going to, I'm going to put right here. The way that they described it, they said, whatever he shall command us the remainder of our lives. So I'm going to say whatever he says. Now, for the for the sake of time, we can't read all scriptures because it's on every page in scriptures, nearly. But what we can do is reference them for study. And we remember uh, this one. So we'll read this one, and then we can talk about it and give us some examples. So right now we're going to jump to a Nephi classic example, First um, Nephi 3, 7. I, Nephi, will go and do, right, this is a super famous, super famous scripture. First Nephi 3, 7. that up here the text a little bit bigger it came to pass i knew if i said unto my father i'll go and do the things which the lord hath commanded what had he commanded back up quick second verse two the lord told him in a dream that thou and thy brethren shall return to Jerusalem. The Lord told him in a dream. Wherefore the Lord hath commanded me that you and your brothers should go to the house of Laban and get the records. But your brothers are complaining, saying it's a hard thing I required. But look at this. It's a commandment of the Lord. So this notion, when we're talking about keep his commandments, whatever he shall command us, we're talking about these things that are uh, personal to us in our lives. And that's one of the reasons the Book of Mormon is starting out with these uh, these anecdotes, or the, these instances uh, where this is what happened. And we see that notion, whatever the Lord uh, commandeth us, because he gives no commandments to his children, unless he prepares a way for them to do the thing that he wants them to do. So that's the whole idea behind doing his will. And we see that uh, all throughout the Book of Mormon. Well, here... Uh, in Mosiah chapter 5 that we just read, you have the idea of becoming the children of Christ. So we need to jump to probably uh, one of the more important scriptures of the evening in 3 Nephi 9, uh, verses 17 and 20. In 3 Nephi chapter 9, verses 17 and 20, as many as have received me, to them have I given to become the sons of God. Well, interesting, because we just read that King Benjamin said, this is how you became the sons or daughters of God or of Christ uh, by entering into this covenant to do, to do his will and to keep his commandments, whatever he'll command you until you're dead. Uh, and look at the different phrase here, as many as have received me. So that is the same thing. As many as has received me. So... So here we have children of Christ, sons and daughters that King Benjamin told us about. 
sons and daughters of God. Sons, daughters. So by doing this covenant, here, this is the voice of Jesus, by the way, that we just read in 3 Nephi 9. He says, this is how we receive him. So that means the same thing. Receive me. It has to mean the same thing because you get the same result. And this is an important key. When you're studying scriptures, when you're reading the scriptures, you're going to get different phrases that describe the same thing, and you need to understand that it is the same thing. So in this case, we saw the entering into covenant to do this got you to become the children of Christ, his sons and daughters, or the sons and daughters of God. And then in 3 Nephi 9, we see here, Another phrase that says the same thing. As many as have received me, to them have I given to become the sons of God. And even so will I to as many as shall believe on my name. So now we have another phrase that he just equated. Believe on my name. So when, when we read these in the scriptures... It's important to understand that when they say these phrases, they are saying the same thing. This is the Lord's covenant. So, let's keep going here. Believe on my name, for behold, by me redemption cometh, and in me is love of Moses fulfilled. I'm light of the world, skip down, skip down. And here it is. And ye shall offer for a sacrifice unto me. A sacrifice. See right here? Sacrifice. We've got it right here. You shall offer for a sacrifice unto me. Here it is. A broken heart and a contrite spirit. And whoso cometh unto me. So now we have cometh unto me instead of receive me. Whoso cometh unto me with a broken heart and contrite spirit. Him will I baptize with fire and with the Holy Ghost even as the Lamanites, because of their faith in me at the time of their conversion were baptized with fire and the Holy Ghost. They knew it not. So, let's add here. So, receive me. He also says, come unto me. So, that means the same thing. To come unto Jesus is the same thing as to receive Jesus. That's, that's really important to understand. Receive me, come unto me, and then we see here the promise So the, the promise, I will baptize you with fire and with the Holy Ghost. With fire and the Holy Ghost. Let me just abbreviate. Hopefully that's okay. Now, we see here in verse 17, he says, this is becoming the sons of God. And then he says, for behold, by me, redemption cometh. The for behold is connecting that statement. So redemption, this is redemption. This is redemption. So Jesus is telling us that this is all the same thing. So baptism, fire, and the Holy Ghost, becoming his children, right here. This is redemption. Redemption. 
That's redemption. Becoming his children, believing on his name, coming unto him, or receiving him, be baptized with fire and with the Holy Ghost. This is redemption. Well, that phrase, by me redemption cometh, anyone that wants to argue that verse 17 is separate from verse 20, they're talking about two different things, I'm going to show you that's not true. We're going to go look at 2 Nephi 2, verses 6 to 8. 2 Nephi 2, verses 6 to 8. And we're going to see that it's saying it's all the same thing. 2 Nephi 2, verses 6 to 8. Wherefore, here it is, redemption cometh in and through the Holy Messiah, which is what we just saw. Redemption cometh by me, Jesus said, in and through the Holy Messiah, full of grace and truth. Verse 7, behold, he offers himself a sacrifice for sin. So he offers himself a sacrifice to answer the ends of the law unto all those who have a broken heart and contrite spirit and unto nobody else can the ends of the law be answered. None. So here, this is redemption coming to nobody except those who have a broken heart and a contrite spirit. So again, we have redemption unto none else than broken heart and contrite spirit. So that sacrifice I have no rhyme or reason for my color code. People ask me if I color code my scriptures and I just, I can't. I can use different colors, but I can't color code. So don't think that I'm using some special system on this whiteboard. I'm not. And if, and if it's driving you nuts that it's not all uniform, I deeply apologize. S submit feedback. I'll try better next time. Broken heart, contrite spirit. Well, So here, starts becoming the focus because now this statement in Second Nephi makes it super clear that nobody gets redeemed except those who have a broken heart and contrite spirit. So the broken heart and contrite spirit starts to become the definition or at least a working definition of the new and everlasting covenant. And, and that's because we're putting all these pieces together so you can see that and understand that. So the new and everlasting covenant here now we've for sure seen in scriptures that it's the covenant to enter into with God. Now, in Third Nephi chapter 9, we saw the idea of whosoever does this, I will do this. That's the covenant idea. Whosoever comes unto me with a broken heart and contrite spirit, that's the offering to God. You shall offer for a sacrifice. Remember, that was the first thing we put on there, sacrifice. If you haven't sacrificed anything, you're not following Jesus. 
Whoso cometh unto me, broken heart and contrite spirit, him will I baptize, that's the promise from God, with fire and with the Holy Ghost. For by me redemption cometh, he says. So the idea of being baptized with fire and with the Holy Ghost, that's the same idea as becoming his sons and his daughters. That's the event where that change happens. His sons and his daughters coming unto me, receiving me, all the same thing. That's the covenant that we make with God. And then here in 2 Nephi 2, the same idea, this is how redemption comes. And it doesn't come to anybody else except he who has a broken heart and contrite spirit. So you say, okay, Dustin, yes, but why are you saying that that's the new and everlasting covenant? That's a really good question. And we have a few pieces uh, to help put that together. And I'm going to show you here. Uh, first, Doctrine and Covenants 133, verses 50, verse 57, excuse me. 133, verse 57. 133, verse 57. And we're going to see that it is talking about this. And we're going to find some more uh, links too. So, okay, as this loads. Here it is. And for this cause that men might be partakers of the glories which were to be revealed. Interesting. He's, he's talking about being redeemed, made to be made partakers of the glories to be revealed. So fancy phrase for being redeemed. The Lord sent forth the fullness of his gospel, comma, his everlasting covenant, reasoning in plainness and simplicity, reasoning in plainness and simpl- sim- simplicity. Re- well, what is it? What does it mean to reason? What does it mean to reason? Because God is way up here and we're down here. In fact, in fact, we should we should draw this out so we understand that just uh, how important this is. Let's go over here. So it says reasoning. So we have God. The idea of reasoning is from one person to another. When you're reasoning back and forth, it's like negotiating. So to reason is like negotiating. But God and man are not on equal terms. So this is an act of mercy on God's part because the reality is that we have God here and man... Wait, 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 down here. Right? So, and that's that's obviously not far enough, but I'm trying to, you know, conserve on space. But you get the idea. So when he says reasoning in plainness and simplicity, so we can't miss it. Well, here we need to look really uh, quickly as a cross-reference. Let's cross-reference Isaiah... 118, I remember this was a scripture mastery. Isaiah 118. Probably still even have it slightly memorized from back in the day. Come and let us reason together, saith the Lord, though your sins be as scarlet, they shall be as white as snow. Though they be red like crimson, they shall be as wool. 
And that notion, let us reason together, saith the Lord, though your sins be red as scarlet, so blood, you'll be forgiven. Though they be crimson red, they'll be as wool. They'll be white as wool of lamb. And interesting that he says wool, because that's like saying you'll be his sheep. Okay? You'll be his sheep. And that, here I've got it pulled up on the screen. That is this exact idea that we're seeing here in Doctrine and Covenants section 133. Come now and let us reason together, saith the Lord. Though your sins be as scarlet, they shall be as white as snow. Though they be red like crimson, they shall be as wool. And I love that notion of being like a lamb, a sheep in the flock of Jesus Christ. If we're in his flock, that means we're sons and daughters. That means we're called after his name, uh, which we actually recently went over in one of our uh, podcasts. So this is the reasoning. The reasoning is he'll he'll redeem us and forgive us of our sins. So this reasoning is the same is the same covenant. Uh, it's it's forgiveness. It's redemption. And that's what happens at the baptism of fire and of the Holy Ghost. What Isaiah is talking about here, that's what occurs here. So when you see the idea of reasoning, the Lord wanting wanting to reason with us, when he wants to reason with us, as we saw here, the Lord sent forth the fullness of his gospel, his everlasting covenant, reasoning in plainness and simplicity. Well, that's what this is. And look at look at look at the other in other words interjection here. The in other words, he sent forth the fullness of his gospel, comma, in other words, his everlasting covenant. So the whole notion of the gospel is the new and everlasting covenant. That's the whole notion. That is that is encompassing the entirety of the gospel. So if we come back over here, we start to see that. Wait a minute. Everything you have on this list is the idea of, of the of the gospel. Look at this. The whole purpose of the gospel is to redeem us. That is what the gospel is for, to teach us how to be redeemed. To teach us how to be redeemed. So that is the gospel. So here, the new and everlasting covenant. Now in this scripture, he just said everlasting covenant. I liked the rainbow pen, but there was a little bit hard to read. Now, we haven't encountered new yet. We're going to add that here in just a moment so that we can prove that it is the new and everlasting covenant. So that scripture that we just read equates this to... The gospel, the fullness of the gospel. So that that's really helpful as we're trying to understand all these things here. I know it's looking like a mess. Welcome to my ADD mind. Uh, hopefully, it gives 
a visual sample of my insanity, but more importantly, it gives you a visual sample of the elements that are important here. Okay. And these elements all boil down to a broken heart and a contrite spirit contrition. I'm so sorry. Forgive me. It's the uh, idea of repentance. Okay. And we come back to the quote that we started from where Joseph says, the Lord will feel after you and rend or wrench your very heartstrings, broken heart. And it'll break your heart. And if you can't stand it, you're not fit. If you can't stand it, you're not fit. Or as we read right at the very beginning, uh, if you're, if you haven't sacrificed something, you're not following Jesus. Or in other words, you haven't, you haven't been adopted of him. Now, what kind of sacrifice? So, yeah, let's talk about the sacrifice of broken heart and contrite spirit because we have some great examples in Scripture that really paint the picture. In fact, we have a few in Alma. Uh, I think we should look at uh, Alma 22. So Alma 22, we're going to look at King Lamoni's father. And what we have is King Lamoni, of course, is another great example, but uh, the verbiage is a little more uh, direct in Alma 22 with what happens with him. King Lamoni's father is super irate that uh, his son Lamoni has been uh, prancing around with this Nephite who is obviously uh, a murderer and a deceiver because that's, that's, uh, that's the tradition, right? Well, you know, through fighting... Ammon and Ammon spares his life and totally surprises him. He wants to be taught as he threatens that the Lord would cast him off. So here is Alma 22. We're going to see what happens when, when Aaron and his brethren finally teach Lamoni's father. Okay. When they teach him how he responds. And this is, this is that covenant in action. This is the idea of the broken heart and country spirit. Look at this. Look at this. After Aaron expounded all these things unto him, the king said, What shall I do that I may have this eternal life of which thou hast spoken, to be redeemed, to be saved? Yea, what shall I do that I may be born of God? See, born of God, becoming his sons and his daughters, as King Benjamin said. Same idea, born of God. Having this wicked spirit rooted out of my breast, and receive his spirit, that I may be filled with joy, that I may not be cast off at the last day. So receiving his spirit is what we saw in Mosiah 18 to covenant with God to keep his commandments that he might pour out his spirit more abundantly upon us. So receiving his spirit. Behold, here it is. Behold, said he, I will give up all that I possess. I will give up all that I possess. Look, look at the sincerity of his heart. Look how that is juxtaposed with this notion here. The idolatry of comfort and safety. I will give up all that I possess. Yea, I will forsake my kingdom that I may receive this great joy. But Aaron said unto him, If thou desirest this thing, if thou wilt bow down before God, yea, if thou wilt repent of all thy sins, and will bow down before God and call on his name in faith, believing that ye shall receive, then shalt thou receive the hope which thou desirest. So here, you're looking at instructions from Aaron of how to offer up this broken heart of contrary spirit. Uh, 
Lamoni's father is demonstrating where his heart is, which is the broken heart, contrite spirit. But the how to, what do I actually do for that? He's like, well, you need to, you need to prostrate yourself and repent of your sins, call upon him and believe that he'll give to you uh, because that is how God is. Well, it came to pass when Aaron said these words, the king did bow down before the Lord upon his knees. Yea, even he did prostrate himself upon the earth and cried mightily. Cried mightily. So here, cried mightily. I'm going to add that because this is really important element. Now, we already saw his willingness to sacrifice. His willingness to sacrifice, which we have up here. All right. So he cried mightily, and that crying mightily sounded like this. Oh, God, Aaron hath told me that there is a God. And if there is a God... And if thou art God, wilt thou make thyself known unto me? Make thyself known unto me, and I will give away. Listen, listen to listen to this statement because he just told Aaron, I will forsake my kingdom, I will forsake everything that I possess externally, and then and then to now this is the gospel, this is the gospel according to Dustin. This is Alma twenty two commentary according to Dustin. But he's now crying mightily, and this crying mightily is the spirit moving upon him and giving him these words. And so, um, you know, the, the Dustin interpretation is that the spirit is telling him, look, uh, it's not the external things I want from you right here, right now. It's internal. Now that's to King Lamai's father, because there are plenty of examples where external things are asked, including uh, the Abraham's sacrifice that was referenced at the very beginning, tried even as Abraham, who was asked to give up his son. That's very external. Um, but here, uh, the Spirit moves upon him. <laughs> uh, thanks, Mark. The Spirit moves upon him to give up something internal. Internal. I will give up all of my sins to know thee, and that I might be raised uh, from the dead and be saved. So there it is, be saved at the last day. So now we know he's talking about this, be saved at the last day. And now when the king had said this, he was struck as if he were dead. Well, being struck as if he were dead reminds me of another example. Uh, Alma, actually, now that we're in the book of Alma, where he was struck as if he was dead. And so in chapter 36, Alma 36, he tells his son Helaman about that experience. Uh, Mormon tells us about it briefly in the chronology in, in, in the book of Mosiah. But later on in Alma 36, Alma starts telling his son Helaman, and we get a few more details about what this experience was like. Uh, which was really awful. And he tells us just how awful it was. So, and he cries out to God and he's doing it during this time when he was struck as if dead. Everyone thought like, what's going on with him? You know? Um, so here we see the experience starting in verse 12 and we're going all the way to uh, verse 20. We're going to focus on the last couple of verses here. 
So this is what he was suffering. Racked with eternal torment, hard up to the greatest degree. Um, I remembered all my sins and iniquities, pains of hell. Uh, I had not kept God's holy commandments. I murdered many of his children, or rather murdered them spiritually, led them to destruction for all of his iniquities. Skip down verse 15. Uh, to be, I don't, I, I don't want to have to face God. I, I, I can't stand this. this. Is his thought, right? Uh, this, these are the pains of a damned soul. Verse sixteen, he says. So, verse seventeen, it came to pass as I was thus racked with torment, while I was harrowed up by the memory of my many sins. Behold, I remembered also to have heard my father prophesy unto the people concerning the coming of one Jesus Christ, the Son of God, to atone for the sins of the world. Now, as my mind caught hold upon this thought, verse 18, I cried within my heart, within my heart, there it is again, my heart, O Jesus, thou son of God, have mercy on me, who am in the gall of bitterness and am encircled about by the everlasting chains of death. And now when I thought this, I could remember my pains no more. Yea, I was harrowed up by the memory of my pains, my sins no more. And oh, what joy and what marvelous light I did behold. So this is crying mightily this is crying mightily this is entering into the new and everlasting covenant this is entering into the way of the gospel this is how we get redemption so this this is the gospel here so we're seeing this in action with alma and this story Sounds just like in Luke 18, the parable of the public uh, Pharisee and the publican. Uh, that's 18.9 that's through 14. We're going to read that. And listen to how this parable sounds really similar to Alma's experience. So starting verse 9. And Jesus spake this parable unto certain which trusted in themselves that they were righteous and despised others. This is the hypocrisy. This is the pharisaical nature of the people. Two men went up into the temple to pray. The one a Pharisee, the other a publican. And he's using publican because that's a terrible person, a sinner. Uh, so basically you just say a sinner. The Pharisee stood and prayed thus with himself, God, I thank thee that I'm not as other men are, extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or even as this publican. I fast twice in a week. I give tithes of all, that I, of all that I possess. And the publican, standing afar off, would not lift up so much as his eyes unto heaven but smote upon his breast, saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. So, this crying out, this crying mightily, is this beginning of repenting of your sins, as Aaron said. So, repenting of our sins is part of this process of offering up a broken heart and a contrite spirit. So it's not just enough to say, God be, God be merciful, because if we just say, God be merciful, and we don't actually offer up our sins and repent of them and be repented in our hearts. 
then we're just offering up lip service. And this is uh, beautifully explained in Mosiah chapter 3, super famous uh, scripture, Mosiah 3.19. Let's jump there. Nope, not there. Here we go. So Mosiah 3.19, notice... Notice how describing in other words what we're talking about here. For the natural man is an enemy to God and has been from the fall of Adam. Now, the natural man desires more than anything what? Comfort and safety. This is an enemy to God. Isn't that interesting? So, now you could disagree that that's what the natural man is, but um, I think we'd be hard-pressed to to uh, prove otherwise. Has been from the fall of Adam, will be forever and ever, unless he yields to the enticings of the Holy Spirit. So, the enticings of the Holy Spirit. Do what the Spirit entices him. Look at that. Yields to stop. Yields to the enticings of the Holy Spirit. So, stop what you're doing. Put off the natural man and become a saint through the atonement of Christ the Lord and become as a child, submissive, meek, humble, patient, full of love. And then look right here. Think think back to Joseph's quote. Willing to submit. Willing to submit to all things which the Lord seeth fit to inflict upon him, even as a child does submit to his father. Inflict. So, so now we have another word. In other words, what we were looking at here of this sacrifice, this idea of a broken heart and a contrite spirit, we have some important words. Submissive, meek, humble. So now we have some important word ties to lots of other scriptures. And this helps us broaden our search as you're going through the scriptures and looking for examples of broken heart and contrite spirit, which is the essence of the gospel, the everlasting gospel, the everlasting covenant. There's a reason why they both have that phrase, the everlasting covenant and the everlasting gospel. Uh, Humble and then submissive, meek, humble, and then that submissive, willing to submit to whatever God sees fit. All things the Lord sees fit to inflict upon him. But but it, why does it sound so morbid inflict like he's like god's trying to inflict pain on us like what why why does it sound like that well it's just express it's just an express statement that's really just conveying the idea that god's trying to get us to let go of the things that we don't need and to trust in him for the things we do to inflict upon him and then 
And then look at the last phrase here. Even as a child submits to his father. So now we have this idea of being children again. The children of Christ, which we have right here. Verse 7, Mosiah 5 again, called the children of Christ, his sons and his daughters. Or 3 Nephi 9, same idea, become my sons and daughters. So uh, this notion is expressed, uh, we see it in Moses chapter 6, in the last bit of the chapter, Moses chapter 6, 66 through 68. This helps reinforce the idea that it is the everlasting covenant. It is what has been since the beginning of time. So Moses chapter 6, jumping down to the bottom now. Uh, you can just above here see that he's talking about where he gets caught away. He's baptized and he's born of the spirit, verse 65. Uh, but then here, he heard a voice out of heaven saying, thou art baptized with fire and with the Holy Ghost. So that means he must have offered up sacrifice in a broken heart and a contrite spirit because that's the only way you can do it. This is the record of the father, the son from henceforth and forever. Verse 67, and thou art after the order of him who was without beginning of days or end of years, a.k.a. everlasting from all eternity to all eternity. Behold, thou art one in me, a son of God. There it is again. Same idea. It's all the same. And thus, and in this manner, that's what the thus means, and in this manner, may everyone become my sons or daughters. Amen. So so here it is with Adam, all these same ideas, broken heart and contrary spirit. Now, did it say broken heart and contrary spirit? No, but if we just look above, we see that Adam... Uh, cried mightily and 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 was baptized. And so here, if it started with Adam, and it's the same from him on the way until now, des- describing the same process, becoming a son of God, baptism of fire and the Holy Ghost, uh, all of those same ideas, that's why it's everlasting. So now let's look at why is it called new? Why are we calling it the new and everlasting covenant? Where does this phrase, new and everlasting covenant, come from? Uh, Well, it has a couple places. And uh, one of these places that we're going to look at, we're going to go to section 84. So, Dr. Covenants, section 84. Starting about, I think, verse, verse 42. Why is it new if it started since the days of Adam? And he said, you're after the order of those of him who is without beginning of days or end of years from all eternity to all eternity. So that's even before the world was. So that's how everlasting it is. Not just since Adam, since before Adam. So section 84 gives us a little bit more insight for this idea of, of, of the uh, covenant. Now, remember, at the beginning, we, we looked at the idea of, okay, this is... This is the notion of the covenant to obey the words of the Lord, which is the same thing as serving him or keeping his commandments or doing his will. Those are all the same. And keeping his commandments is whatever he says, because he's going to tell us all to do different things. Okay, so as we're looking at this idea of 
keeping his commandments, obeying his word, etc., etc. We're going to read this passage that's super powerful. Uh, oh, we're starting in verse 43. I said 42. Verse 43. Now I give unto you a commandment to beware concerning yourselves. Beware concerning yourselves to give doesn't heed to the words of eternal life. Well, whose who's are the words of eternal life? To give doesn't heed to God's words. That's his covenant, right? So he says, beware because they're not. And you're going to see that in this passage. So he says, beware because you're not at this time. Interesting. And then verse 44, he clarifies, for you shall live by every word that proceeds forth from the mouth of God. You shall live. But, so there's another phrase. There's another phrase of the exact same thing. You shall live by every word that proceeds forth from the mouth of God. That is the same covenant. So as God sends forth commands to us, that's how we're supposed to live our lives. That's how he wants us to live our lives. That's how he wants us to covenant to live our lives. So that's what he's saying here. For you shall do that. For, again, a restatement, the word of the Lord is truth. And whatsoever is truth is light, and whatsoever is light is spirit, even the spirit of Jesus Christ. And the spirit giveth light to every man that cometh into the world. The spirit lighteth every man through the world that hearkens to the voice of the spirit. That hearkens to the voice of the spirit. So he just equated here the word of the Lord, the voice of the spirit. He just equated that this is an equation here. The word of the Lord is the voice of the spirit. So right here, obey my word. He just equated it so we understand that that's the voice of the Spirit. Now, I doubt anyone on here was thinking to disagree with that, but but it's important to put all these pieces together so we know that it's all talking about the same thing so that when we're reading scriptures, when you're reading scriptures, you're going to see this all over the place. You're going to go, oh my gosh, this is what it's talking about. This is what, this is what we're supposed to be doing. So... So you'll see the the whole notion of the gospel popping out to you on every page of the Book of Mormon, the Doctrine and Covenants, the Old Testament, the New Testament, the Pro Great Price, in the words of Joseph Smith. Okay, so uh, verse forty seven, moving uh, moving on, and everyone that hearkens to the voice of the Spirit comes unto God. There it is, comes unto God. That's what we saw in thirty five nine to come unto me, and I'll make them my sons and daughters to come unto me. We saw that there. So. So look at everyone who hearkens to my words comes unto me. So that's how we come unto him. So he's giving us the same formula. This is talking about the same thing, the same thing here that we've been talking about this whole time. So you see how it's popping out. And the father teaches that person. Look at this of the covenant, which he has renewed of the covenant which he has renewed and confirmed upon you, which is confirmed upon you for your sakes, and not for your sakes only, but for the sake of the whole world. Interesting, because look at this. Look at the word ties from the reasoning with the Lord that we talked about. And the whole world lies in sin and groans under darkness, under the bondage of sin. And by this, look at this, and by this you may know they are under the bondage of sin because they come not unto me. Well, they don't come unto him. Well, what? how do we come unto him? Remember, to receive him was the same as coming unto him, which was the same as believing on his name, which was the same as covenanting to 
obey his word, serve him, keep his commandments, do his will, whatever he tells us to do, do whatever the voice of the spirit says. So it's all the same thing here. That's how you can know that they're under the bondage of sin because they're not doing any of that stuff, a.k.a. coming unto me. And then he restates it for whoever doesn't come unto me is under the bondage of sin. And whoso doesn't receive my voice isn't acquainted with my voice and is not of me. To be of me, my sons and daughters, like we just said. So he's he's teaching the exact same concepts here. And look at this. And you can tell the righteous from the wicked, skip to 54. And look at this. In your minds in times past have been darkened because of unbelief. Interesting. Unbelief. Well, we have the believe on my name portion. So they're not doing this, keeping this covenant. Because you have treated lightly the things you have received, which vanity and belief have brought the whole world under condemnation. And this condemnation resteth, resteth upon the children of Zion even all, and they shall remain under this condemnation until they repent and remember the new covenant. Even the Book of Mormon and the former commandments, which I have given them, not only to say, but to do according to that which I have written. The new covenant. So now we have a word link. We have a word link between verse 57 we have new covenant, new covenant here, and the covenant which he has renewed, as we scroll back up. Oh, sorry. Uh, verse 48. The covenant which he has renewed. So now the question is, well, what is this idea of renewing the covenant? Well, that one's pretty easy because the gospel was lost. So as Joseph's restoring the gospel and the gospel is the everlasting covenant, that means the everlasting covenant was renewed. So and by the time we get here to uh, verse uh, 57, we have, remember the new covenant. So that's why we say the new and everlasting covenant. So here on, on the whiteboard we could easily say renewed an everlasting covenant but that's doesn't sound as cool i guess so instead of new and everlasting covenant we have new because it was renewed And we see that we see that in multiple places, including so here's an article from the article from the Millennial Star in the very first lines of it. So this is this is an article called The Gift of the Holy Ghost, written by Thomas Ward. Millennial Star, 1843, Volume 4, Number 4. And in the very first lines, we see the phrase, in the renewal of the covenant. Oh, it's loading. And it's all about the gift of the Holy Ghost, interestingly enough.
So here it is. In the renewal of the covenant with the children of men. There are many subjects of great interest. So in the renewal of that covenant, there's a lot of things to talk about. However, the gift of the Holy Ghost stands preeminently distinguished as the greatest gift that, that man could receive or deity bestow. So do you see that? The gift of the Holy Ghost is the greatest thing he can give us. That's what he offers us when we offer to him our broken heart and contrite spirit. That's the covenant again. So in the renewal of this covenant where I can offer something to God that's uh, totally minuscule com in comparison, God can give this huge gift to me of the gift of the Holy Ghost, which comes through the baptism of the Father and the Holy Ghost. That is how redemption comes. All right? So we see this. Uh, here, so this is Joseph Smith Papers. This is from uh, Conference Minutes. Let's scroll up in October 1831. And in these Conference Minutes, we see some really interesting statements from uh, some of these people. Look at this. Brother Emer Harris said that he was determined to be for God and none else, and with his assistance to do his will. To do his will. Look at what that's talking about. And then look at the, look at uh, Orson Hyde. Oh, just made that a little bigger. Brother Orson Hyde said that he covenanted to give all to the Lord and be for his glory. And as to all his works, his heart responded a hearty amen. Brother Hiram Smith said that all he had was the Lord's and he was ready to do his will continually. These are all restatements of the new and everlasting covenant. Look at this. Brother Frederick G. Williams said that he renewed again the covenant before the Lord to give all to him. It, uh, you can find awesome examples of this, of this idea. This is renewal of the covenant, renewal of the covenant. And, and then even this idea, see, Frederick G. Williams, he'd already, He'd already entered into covenant, but he renewed his covenant or commitment to the Lord. So that's something that which is common. And that's where you're like, oh, that sounds like taking the sacrament every week. Exactly. That's what that's all about. That's what that's all about. To recommit ourselves constantly, our covenant before the Lord to give all to him. But the real question is that we all have to ask ourselves. is are we falling into this trap or or into the temptation of the idolatry of comfort and safety? I've got here on, on my messy screen. The idolatry of comfort and safety, which muddies the water and makes us hold back from the Lord. What might we hold back? Joseph said that uh, if we're truly willing, for truly willing, he'll reach out and wrench or rend our very heartstrings. So the new and everlasting covenant is a big deal. And if, and if you haven't actually uh, sacrificed something, uh, it's possible that you're not yet what you thought you might have been. And I know for me, I'm still, uh, I'm still working on that, still on that journey, uh, trying to, trying to reach that point. And, and that idea of him being mighty to save uh, takes us to, so Alma, Alma 34 gives this idea of crying out mightily, like we saw, and why it's so important, crying mightily. So when we see that in Alma 34, 
16 to 18. Now, this whole chapter is Alman Amulek, who had been preaching, and we got these people who are just like, oh, we're cast off, and, and, and we're, no, we're no good, and we can't worship, um, and... Uh, because they don't accept us in the synagogues because we're too poor, blah, blah, blah. And Elm is like, uh, wha- what do you mean? Like, you worship God by calling on his name. And that's what we're seeing here. And Amulek comes in right after, and he expands on it and gives a beautiful sermon on, on accessing the atonement. And then he look here, uh, verse 6, and thus mercy can satisfy the demands of justice. We're talking about this mercy, like the publican says, God be merciful to me, a sinner. Mercy satisfies demands of justice, encircles them, the arm, in the arms of safety, while he that exercises zero faith under repentance is exposed to the whole law of the demands of justice. Therefore, only unto him that has faith unto repentance is brought about the great plan, great and eternal plan of redemption. So we see here that Amulek is putting into terms what we got through all those other scriptures. Right? We had... Redemption, he's talking about redemption here. He's talking about repenting, exercising faith unto repentance. This is the great plan of redemption right here. We're looking at it. This is it. This is it. Therefore, look at this. May God grant unto you, my brethren, that ye may begin to exercise your faith unto repentance or in other words, that ye begin to call upon his holy name, that he would have mercy upon you. There it is. There's the publican. To call on his name, to have mercy on you, cry on him for mercy, for he is mighty to save. So there it is. Cry mightily unto God. This is the essence of the gospel, and you're going to find it everywhere. And uh, as you look... Even though you don't always see the phrase broken heart and contrite spirit everywhere, what you do see are all of these phrases, and it's referring to it. Now, uh, another example in Omni, I, I love the wording of Omni. It's, it parallels this idea of Mosiah 319 where it gives us some beautiful language to kind of visualize what should this really look like when I'm kneeling before God and offering unto him, look how Omni says it. Absolutely beautiful. Omni one twenty six. Now, my beloved brethren, I would that you should come unto Christ. There it is again. Come unto me or receive me or believe on my name. All this means all the same thing. Come unto Christ, who is the Holy One of Israel, and partake of his salvation and the power of his redemption. See, there it is again. Yea, come unto him and offer your whole souls as an offering or a.k.a. a sacrifice, your whole souls, and continuing fasting and praying and enduring to the end. And as the Lord liveth, ye will be saved. Offer your whole souls. So I'm going to throw that up on here. Uh, throw up the offer. So sacrifice, rent your heart, change your heart. Let's put whole souls. So we're th- throwing whole souls on here. That is a big deal. Now, King Lamoni's father said, I'll sacrifice all that I possess, my entire kingdom. I'll give away all my sins. Right? Super powerful example here. And uh, 
Okay. And so here, with all these pieces in place, I'm going to do a really quick... Uh, we're going to browse a bunch of scriptures here, and we're not going to actually read all of the verses because it's too many. I want to show you in a, in fast fashion... Just what uh, searching the scriptures for these types of uh, statements can teach you, and you can find them all over the place. And you can find these statements of, of, of like new covenant or everlasting covenant or or coming unto me or all that kind of stuff. You're going to find that everywhere. And this is just from the from the Bible. And so I'm going to just show you here a bunch of scriptures that I collected. So you can get an idea of how it's all over the place. Okay. So let's take a look. In fact, let's zoom in on that just a tiny bit more. So look, like in, in Psalm 51, he says he doesn't desire sacrifice, a.k.a. the sacrifice is a burnt offering, but he, but look at this, this is the sacrifice that the Lord actually requires. A broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart. Look at that. Look at 1 Samuel 15. God cares more about obeying his voice. There it is again. That's the covenant, obeying his voice, than he does about burnt offerings, all the outward sacrifices we could give. So when King Lamoni's father says, I will give my whole kingdom. God's like, well, look, that's nice and dandy, but I really just want you to do what I say, okay? Um, uh, Psalm 40, uh, he says, Lord, you didn't desire burnt offerings, sacrifice and offerings. You opened my ears. I delight to do thy will. There it is. Do your will. That's there on our list. Thy law, look at this. Thy law is within my heart. My heart, broken heart and country spirit, have it enter our hearts. I have preached your word diligently and not feared. I haven't feared. So that comfort and safety. I am poor and needy. So this is the idea of humility. Okay. And we go to Psalm 69. We see similar ideas here. Praise God and thanksgiving are greater than ox or bullock offerings. Interesting. Well, praise and thanksgiving is this notion of humility. So I have broken heart and contrite spirit. So praise and thanksgiving, that's crying out unto God. That is that humility is recognizing our need for him. See that I'm poor and needy, same idea. That's where prayers and thanksgiving comes in. It's an act of humility done on your knees to praise and thanksgiving. It's the same attitude of broken heart and contrite spirit. See that the humble shall see this as he continues. The Lord hears the poor and doesn't despise his prisoners. Gorgeous. And then Isaiah one eleven, he says the same thing. I don't love your sacrifices. In other words, I don't I don't love your that sacrifices with quotes because because like I can go and pay tithing, for example, or or fast offerings or uh like like the, the Pharisee, right? The the that parable of the Pharisee. I don't love your sacrifices. Like, well, I'm doing all this stuff. I'm doing all these outward things where I can just check and everyone can see it. I, I, I give to the, I do all these things, right? Um, and like the widows might out of their abundance they were giving, but it wasn't really a sacrifice for them. But this, but this widow has cast in everything that she had. Remember that idea. Same idea here. That's why Isaiah is saying this because the Lord does love the sacrifices of our heart. So when you put all these scriptures in context, that's what you get. Look at Proverbs twenty-one. Want to be a king? 
Interesting. Uh, I, I, I believe it's talking about being a spiritual king. Want to be a king? Put your heart in the hand of the Lord. Uh, well, if, if I put, if I put my heart in the hand of the Lord, Joseph said he's going to squish it and wrench it. And I don't want to do that. I don't want to do that. Put your heart in the hand of the Lord and turn wherever he points you. The Lord looks on your heart. Look at this. Justice and judgment greater than sacrifice. The proud heart is sin. That's the same thing that we were reading in section 84. The converse would be true. The humble heart is righteousness. So that the broken heart and contrite spirit. So with that humility that we saw in Mosiah 319, same idea. Okay. Uh, in Hebrews 10, we have uh, most of the entire chapter here, but look at some of the look at some of the bullet points you can get from it. No outward sacrifices could make them perfect. Uh, the Lord doesn't have any pleasure in burnt offerings and sacrifices. I come to do thy will, O God. Look, there it is. There's the covenant. Look at this. Sanctified. The Holy Ghost witnesses of it. Sanctification comes through baptism of fire and the Holy Ghost. See? This is the covenant. I will put my laws into their hearts and in their minds. I will write them. This is coming from Jeremiah 31, which we're going to come to again. So, so, um, so Paul is actually quoting Jeremiah. A new and living way. Living is without death or without end, everlasting. So new and living is the same thing as new and everlasting. Interesting. A new and everlasting way. This is the covenant, a new covenant. Isn't that, isn't that interesting? And then towards the end, I let us draw near with a true heart. Draw near to the God. Draw, come unto God. This is coming unto God. Hearts sanctified from an evil conscience. There it is again, baptism for the Holy Ghost. It's all over. Micah 6, 6 to 8. Is the Lord pleased with offerings? He requires that you do justly and love mercy. There's the mercy. And walk humbly with your God. And then Jeremiah 31. This is uh, what Paul was quoting. A new covenant to write my law in their hearts. And then all shall know the Lord to come unto the Lord. There's a lot more in that passage, but same idea. Look at this in Romans. He says, the Gentiles live God's law by nature and have it written in their hearts. So those who uh, were being converted to the gospel at that time. Proverbs 7. He uh, he wrote the law upon their hearts. So this idea of giving our heart to God and having his word inside of us to obey and do whatever he says, to serve the Lord. To serve the Lord means obey his word. It's all the same. And uh, looking here, Hebrews 8 Look at this, equating covenant with my law written in their minds and hearts. There, he reiterates it again. And Isaiah has it a bunch of times. Isaiah really pounds it left and right. And we just have a couple of highlights. I dwell in high and holy places and with him, I dwell with him of a contrite and humble heart. Look at that. I dwell with him, being one with them. Uh, by the way, you can cross uh, reference that with Matthew 23. He who humbles himself will be exalted, by the way. So I dwell in high and holy places, and the person with a contrite and humble heart dwells with me in high and holy places. So being humbled, being exalted. So it's a great verse there. And then again later in Isaiah, you can get a, you can get this on most pages of Isaiah, but look at this. I will look to the man that is poor and of a contrite spirit and trembles at my word. So to tremble his word means to fear, respect, and obey his command. All right? Conversely, all those who have been doing outward ordinances and sacrifices and living the letter of the law all choose their own ways, he says, their own will instead of seeking God's will or his word or his command. So 
Psalm 147.3, he heals the broken in heart, he says. Joel 2, turn to me, look at this, turn to me with all your heart and rend your heart. Rend, look at this, there it is again, like Joseph said, rend your heart, break it, and not your garments, outward action of the commandment, and turn to the Lord. That one's so powerful. Look at jumping way back to Leviticus in chapter 26. Confess their iniquity and of their fathers. Humble their uncircumcised hearts. I will remember the covenant to the fathers. All, all these references are here. And by the way, we will have this list available for you, and, and you'll you'll go find a lot more on your own, but you, you'll have this available for you. So you don't have to watch this video to get all these scriptures, by the way. These are all just out of the Bible. Psalm 34, the Lord is close to those of a broken heart and saves those of a contrite spirit. There it is again, same thing. Uh, the Isaiah 1, we already read this to reason with the Lord, but then we only read 18. If you go 19 and 20, you see the willing and obedient shall eat the good of the land. But if you refuse and rebel, you're doomed. I mean, I'm sum I'm summarizing, I'm paraphrasing, right? Uh, look at this, Matthew 5 from the Beatitudes, blessed are the poor in spirit. Same idea. Hebrews 12, we get a lot in Hebrews. Lord chastens those he loves to chasten. Uh, we're supposed to yield and submit to it, right? To the Lord's chastening, become his sons and daughters, he says. Be in subjection to the Father, partake of his holiness. This is all stuff that are in all these elements that we've already read. It's not fun, but it yields the peaceable fruit of righteousness. Now, again, I'm paraphrasing, but that's what he's saying here. It is not something that's enjoyable, but it, the fruit of righteousness, which is the baptism of fire and the Holy Ghost. Look at in James. Receive the engrafted word with meekness, or that, which is being written upon your heart. So that means you have to be doers of the word. Matthew 11, take my yoke, my yoke. Take my yoke. Do what I say. That's what he's talking about here. So, it's all over in the scriptures. It's it's disguised in other words a lot of times, but it's really extremely paramount everywhere you look because it is the essence of the gospel. So, anyone that tries to uh, preach to you, as Joseph says, anything contrary to what's written in the scriptures, the Bible, the Book of Mormon, the revelations of the Doctrine and Covenants, Anyone that tries to preach to you anything contrary to that, set him down as an imposter. Well, interestingly, we have we have a couple of um, statements in the Doctrine and Covenants that might be confusing. Uh, namely, section one thirty one and section one uh, one thirty two. In section uh, and with, without being able to spend a lot of time, we're going to briefly look at it because uh, for anyone that be like, well, wait a minute, how come then? Uh, the Doctrine of Covenants uses this phrase, right? So here we go, section 131. We have this insert here. This is a statement from Joseph. It was recorded in a journal. In the celestial glory, there are three heavens of degrees. In order to obtain the highest, a man must enter into this order of the priesthood. Now, this insert here, this insert right here was not part of Joseph's quote. This was commentary that was added later. And, and if you go and search, if you go and search where 
this quote comes from, and you see it in the journal, Joseph did not say, meaning the new and everlasting covenant of marriage. He didn't say that. That was an insert added later. Uh, this quote uh, didn't have that. So that's really interesting to know, by the way. In order to obtain the highest man, must enter this order of the priesthood. It should end there. And if he doesn't, he cannot obtain it. That is an addition That is an addition that was not in Joseph's original statement. So the original statement should be a little bit more of uh, a little bit more vague. In the celestial glory, there are three heavens or degrees, and in order to attain the highest degree, a man must enter into this order of the priesthood. And if he doesn't, he cannot obtain it. So that is one thirty-one. So really quick, we'll say okay. In in uh, conversely, if we look at uh, Doctrine and Covenants, section 22, that clarifies it again to what we've been talking about. Look at this. I say unto you that all old covenants have I caused to be done away in this thing, and this is a new and everlasting covenant, even that which was from the beginning. Even that which was from the beginning. We already saw what was from the beginning. We read it in Moses chapter 6. What was from the beginning? What was from the beginning? Although a man should be baptized a hundred times, it doesn't avail anything. He's referring to the need for baptism of fire and the Holy Ghost. So baptism of water is what he's saying. Although a man should be baptized by water a hundred times, it doesn't avail him anything. In other words, like Joseph said, a man might as well baptize a bag of sand if if uh, there's no getting of the Holy Ghost. So so baptism by water doesn't mean anything. So that's what the Lord's saying here. and. Uh, verse 3, it's because of your dead works that I've caused this last, last covenant and this church to be built up unto me, even as in days of old, this last covenant. Wherefore, enter ye in at the gate, and the gate is doing all of this. The gate is coming unto the Lord and being baptized with fire and the Holy Ghost as we offer up this sacrifice of a broken heart and contrite spirit. Wherefore, do this. Okay, so this is the new and everlasting covenant. Well, section 132 uh, gives us gives us the idea of the new and everlasting covenant. So let's let's take a look at that real quick, and we see that it um, starts talking about. Uh, plural marriage here. That's what section 132 is about. As pertaining to the new and everlasting covenant, it was instituted for the fullness of my glory, and he that received the fullness therefore must abide the law or he shall be damned. Which law? Now this section starts talking about the law of plural marriage. Saying to you, if a man marry a wife by my word, which is my law, and by the new and everlasting covenant. So so we start to see here in section 132 uh, that the, the phrase new and everlasting covenant is not being used the same as everywhere else. According to mine appointment, and he or she shall commit any sin transgression of the new and everlasting covenant. Talking about plural marriage over and over again. After you have received my new and everlasting covenant, referring to plural marriage. The interesting thing is, uh, this verse right here, actually taken by itself, is truth if we're talking about the real new and everlasting covenant. But if it's plural marriage, then it's not matching everything else that we wrote here. So, so that's the, that's 
the tricky thing, all this stuff here, the scriptures laid it out very clearly. And we looked at dozens of scriptures just from the Bible alone that clarified it. But the Book of Mormon Doctrine and Covenants made it all very clear. So part of the trouble here with section 132 is you get statements like verse 27, which say something true, but it's like, but wait a minute, but you're saying the new and everlasting covenant is, is plural marriage, or as we saw in section 131, meaning the new and everlasting covenant of marriage. But none of the other scriptures support that. And Joseph says, if a man comes to you and, and preaches anything contrary to the Bible, Book of Mormon, Doctrine and Covenants, set him down as an imposter. Well, interestingly, section 132 was not a part of Doctrine and Covenants when Joseph said that. 132 was not added to the Doctrine and Covenants until the later edition of the Doctrine and Covenants, much later edition after Joseph's lifetime. So that's important to remember because uh, it's not fair to include 132 as inclusive in that statement when Joseph says if it's contrary to it, because all the other scriptures that we just looked at are contradicting uh, the statement of section 132. That's why I'm not contradicting 132. All those other scriptures are contradicting 132. So Joseph says I should set down 132 as an imposter because it's it's coming. 132 is coming to me and preaching to me uh, something different uh, than the Bible, Book, Warren, Doctrine, and Covenants say is the new and everlasting covenant. So uh, that's a that's a quick look at this. So here it is again. Just you'll see all throughout. The, you'll see it all throughout the section. So so that's just a quick couple of minutes to say, okay, this is what it's not. So to, to wrap up, as we do this, this is a very individual thing between a person and the Lord. But there is an important element. We were reading in section 84 about everyone being under condemnation because they weren't under this covenant. So uh, we're going to see this idea in section 1 that's just the same so section one gets this idea of this collective either condemnation or collective blessing. It's all interrelated. So we're right towards the end. Uh, verse 30. So section one, verse 30 and 30. Uh, yeah. 30 and 31. Section one, 30 and 31. To those these commandments were given, might have power to lay the foundation of this church, bring forth out of obscurity and out of darkness the only true and living church upon the face of the earth. Here it is. With which I, the Lord, am well pleased. And then look at this statement. Speaking collectively and not individually, because condemnation and um, and salvation or righteousness are individual, but there is a collective aspect as well. So there is both aspects, individual and collective. For I, the Lord, cannot look upon sin with the least degree of allowance. Well, here is here he's well pleased, but this section one was earlier on. Section one, if we just scroll up to the top, was given in 1831. But by a year later, which was uh, section 84, uh, he's not well pleased. He says you're all under condemnation. So we have a collective, I'm well pleased, but we have some individuals that I'm not well pleased. And then we have a collective, you're under condemnation, but some individuals, I'm still well pleased. And and that happens both times. This is important because we are going to look at a couple of statements about this collective condemnation so that we can understand collective uh, salvation so we can understand how the new and everlasting covenant plays a vital role in the last days. And, th and that's where we will 
and the discussion. It'll be a topic uh, for further study. So I just want to point you in the direction of some of these uh, scriptures so that you can go look at it and see that there is an, a collective element that plays a role that's really important. So first, we're going to pull up, we should read in the JST, Genesis 9. So when we when we look at Genesis 9 from the Joseph Smith translation, we get an interesting and helpful description of this new and everlasting covenant, which shows a, a collective idea. Okay, so this is 21 to 25. So the JST, you see the JST edition in, in uh, the italicized lettering. And the bow shall be in the cloud, the rainbow, and I will look upon it that I may remember the everlasting covenant, which I made to thy father Enoch, speaking to Noah, that when men should keep all my commandments, there it is. Here's this idea of entering into the new and everlasting covenant, that when men should keep all my commandments, how many men, a collective, a large collective set of men and women, Zion should again come on the earth. So when, not when a couple of men and women, but when a large group, this whole collective idea, Zion then should come on the earth, the city of Enoch would return, which I have caught up unto myself. And this is mine everlasting covenant, that when thy posterity shall embrace the truth, there it is again, there's that same idea of the gospel, and look upward, then shall Zion look downward, and all the heavens shall shake with gladness, and the earth shall tremble with joy. And the general assembly of the church of the firstborn shall come down out of heaven. In other words, that is the city of Enoch. They are the church of the firstborn. And they'll possess the earth and have place until the end come. And this is my everlasting covenant, which I made with thy father Enoch. So now we have a notion of a collective bunch of people keeping the new and everlasting covenant. And when that happens, when we have a large enough group of men and women keeping the new and everlasting covenant, that opens up Zion and allows for the city of Enoch to return, which happens after the end time exodus. So, According to JST Genesis 9, then we will reach that mass point at some point uh, between the Exodus and the establishment of New Jerusalem, where we have enough men and women who are actually uh, coming into the new and everlasting covenant. So that is an important element. Now, this collective condemnation happened. Now, I, I want to point everyone to uh, Mark's Mark Curtis's uh, podcast and article of the when, why, and how the LDS churches were condemned. He goes through these details so you can understand the collective condemnation where everyone was collectively pleasing to the Lord and then collectively not pleasing to the Lord. And we're resting under that condemnation still. And we know that we're resting under that condemnation because we just read in Genesis 9 that we don't get out of that condemnation wherever, until all these people start finally keeping the covenant. So let's look at, uh, in the Doctrine and Covenants for a moment, we're going to look at section 35. Is it 35? Let me pull that up.
Yeah. So let's look here. Section 35. Look towards the end here. Keep all the commandments and covenants by which ye are bound. There it is. There's the link talking about the new lasting covenant to keep all my commandments to obey the Lord. Keep all the commandments. And I will cause the heavens to shake for your good, and Satan shall tremble, and Zion shall rejoice upon the hills and forests. So he's referring to that exact same moment in time when Zion comes. Look at this. And Israel shall be saved in mine own due time. Again, referring to that same time, because when the new Jerusalem is established is when Israel will be gathered out of the four corners of the earth. So talking about the same time. And look at this. And by the keys which I have given shall they, Israel, be led and no more be confounded at all. So look at this. Look at this. We have, so we know we're talking about the end time because when men will keep all my commandments and, and Zion shall rejoice, we know it's going to happen in the end times. We just read it in JST Genesis 9. And then we have the reinforced idea that that's when Israel will be saved. And he says in my own due time, and in my own due time is, is an end time context. Uh, typically speaking, especially in, in this context, that's what it's talking about. So then the next phrase is another end time context. By the keys which I have given, shall they be led? What is he talking about? He's talking about the end time servant because Joseph Smith has the keys. He's coming back with the keys. He never gave the keys away to anybody. We have uh, statements about that. Uh, we don't have enough time, as I said, in this podcast to go over it, but you can look in uh, scriptures and quotes on the, the end time Davidic servant. And you can look at that, and that's what it's referring to. By the keys which I have given to Joseph Smith shall they be led. So the end time servant shall lead them, and no more be confounded. Lift up your hearts and be glad. Lift up your hearts to heaven. That's when Zion will look downward. Look at this. Your redemption draweth nigh. There's another link. Your redemption, the redemption of Zion, which is another end time context. The redemption of Zion links us to section 101 again. So here's a lot of just, this is for further study, but we need to look at this verse 25. It says, no more be confounded. That was the original statement. Let's scroll up here. This was 1830. No more be confounded. Now in 1835, after they, they had come under condemnation, we can come to this resource here. In 1835, Joseph Smith had it changed, we'll scroll down to the bottom. This is comparing the two sections. So the original revelation said confounded, but then Joseph changed it to condemned. Oh, wait, I, that's not big enough. Apologize. Scoot. There we go. So, so the original said confounded, but in the first edition of Doctrine and Covenants, a couple of years after the Book of Commandments, Joseph changed the word to condemned because the saints were under condemnation. So, and by the keys which I have given, shall they be led and no more be condemned. So this says, okay, so th this is the end time context when men shall keep all my commandments and Satan trembles and the one who has the keys will lead them and they won't be condemned anymore. So that's referring to the same idea. The collective condemnation finally ends with the collective redemption and salvation of Zion and of the people because enough people have entered into the everlasting covenant to obey the Lord's word and to keep his commandments, whatever he tells them to do. So the so what of this is to again go back to Joseph's statement 
Do we care more about the idolatry of comfort and safety? Are we scared that the Lord's going to take from us what we don't want to give? Because he said, I'm going to rend your very heartstrings. So whatever your heart is around, wherever your heart is, there's your treasure also. Or wherever your treasure is, there will your heart be also, says Jesus. So your heart and your treasure are combined, and the Lord knows that, and he wants to separate them if it's not him. If the Lord isn't your treasure in your heart, the Lord wants that to be separated, and that's the rending or wrenching of your heart, like uh, Joseph and, and Micah said. So we have to look within ourselves and think, okay, well, what's what are the top things that I don't want the Lord to take or that I don't want to lose or that I don't want to sacrifice? And those are likely the things that we need to. And uh, as an interesting example, just a week ago or so, I ha- uh, had a family member visiting and we were chatting and I was talking to her about this idea. And she kind of, she kind of chuckled and, and almost like kind of scoffing at herself saying, oh yeah, like he's going to ask, he's going to ask for the thing you don't want to give up. And, and I, and I laughed and I said, you know what, that seems to be, that seems to be par for the course. Uh, so the idolatry of comfort and safety starts to now point to, okay, well, that's, that's a different idea of idolatry, right? Where I'm, I'm worshiping comfort and safety and I don't want to have comfort and safety taken away from me, whatever that might look like. So that is something that could be the idol that's keeping me from God. Could be something else. It could be, it could be money. It could be pos- uh, possessions like King Lamoni's father, my whole kingdom. He offered it. Lord uh, didn't take it yet, but he did actually take it. So interesting. That's just an interesting side note. The Lord did actually end up taking his kingdom. Um, and, and he was okay with that. So that is, the new and everlasting covenant, what it is, what it is not. Uh, there, It is a subject that requires our full attention because it is the essence of the gospel. It is the essence of how we're saved. Jesus Christ requires us to have him in our hearts and in our minds more than anything else. He doesn't care about any specific outer things, just like we saw in all those... New- uh, old New Testament scriptures, because what he really cares about is is this right here, and that's the hardest thing to give him. It's like, well, can I can I just give this thing that I don't care about? It's like, no, because you don't care about it. <laughs> Meaning, you don't care about it. He doesn't care about that. Wherever your treasure is, there will your heart be also. And he wants your treasure to be him. And if your treasure isn't him, he wants you to offer it up. Doesn't mean he's always going to take what you offer, but he wants you to offer it so that so that he is the one in your heart. This is so important because it's the only way we can be saved. It's the only way that redemption comes. And I say this in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. We are going to feature here a few questions. If there are any pertinent ones to answer uh, briefly at the end of this video, then we will transition to a discussion. Join our discussion on Zoom. Uh, Mark will put our Zoom link in the comments, but or actually, uh, will doctrineofchrist.com slash join, right? That's what we want. Doctrineofchrist.com slash join. And that can join our discussion so that we can talk about, uh, hear comments from you guys, hear thoughts that you had during the presentation. And if, uh, and if you missed the live and you're watching a replay, uh, be sure to catch us, uh, Tuesdays. At 8 o'clock Mountain Time.
Could you compare broken heart and contrite spirit kind to what other Christians call being saved by grace or born again? I was trying to explain to a non-Mormon friend. Oh, Linda, great question. So uh, I can't speak for the Christian community at large because uh, a lot of people have different opinions as I've talked to different friends. Um, but broken heart and contrite spirit is what brings us to born again. Now, if they realize that or not, I don't know, but they definitely understand the idea of crying out mightily to Jesus to be saved. And that is the act of being willing to give up all your sins. That is the act of offering up a broken heart and contrite spirit, trying to repent and give up anything that he'd have you give up. So while the words broken heart, contrite spirit might not be ones they're using, you can definitely connect with them by saying, well, the broken heart and contrite spirit is what you have to give inside in order to be born again. So that that's the direct connection there. Ho- hopefully that's helpful. That's an excellent question. Laura, what does a broken heart and contrite spirit look like in action? Thank you. Great question. That is the question that we have to ask ourselves, uh, which is why I just pulled out a couple of examples from Scripture but at the end of the day, it's the covenant to do whatever he tells you to do, right? So so whatever God tells you to do. So you're going to have to kneel and say, God, I want to do whatever you want me to do. I want to be yours. I want to be your daughter, your son. Uh, and I offer to do anything you say. I offer to do your will, and to keep your commandments. Offer to have him give you whatever experiences you need. Offer to have him take whatever he needs or even ask him, say, is there something you would have me sacrifice or be willing to sacrifice? Um, usually you could probably come up with it on your own first because we usually know what our hearts are tied to. It's the thing that we're scared of happening most or the thing that we're scared of losing or sacrificing most and go to God and say, okay, Heavenly Father, is this something you want me to actually sacrifice? Now, sometimes he'll say, no, I don't want you to actually sacrifice it. Or he might say, yeah, I want you to actually sacrifice it. Or he might just say, I want you to be willing to sacrifice it. I want you to do this, though. It depends. We ha- it has to be individual. Uh, what does... Okay, yeah, that was the question. Um, was there a second question I missed? Could sacrifice look like giving up our ego daily? Well, definitely. Um, you have to be doing his will, right? So if if we're living by ego, we're not living by the word of the Lord. So that's for sure part of it, but the Lord might um, might have more specific things in mind. At the end of the day, anything that we're holding onto in our heart um, is usually connected to ego in some way. Uh, and so that, so it, it, it's gonna, it's gonna manifest itself in, in different ways. So, so yes, but be prepared to have it look uh, more specific. Uh, Jeffrey, how do we know it was added by Brigham Young? Well, for sure it was added. Um, and and if and if Mark has any commentary on the Brigham Young aspect, um, that Brigham Young definitely oversaw the uh, 1876 edition. Now uh, we, by, by looking at the journal entry, we know it wasn't there, so we definitely know it was added, and it couldn't have been added by Joseph because it, um, that happened after his his death. It was in William Clayton's journal. I thought it was added by him. Uh, it could have been added by William Clayton. Um, but the but the original statement did not say 
meaning the new and everlasting covenant of marriage. So if anyone wants the uh, link to that, I didn't have it to show, which I apologize. That would be a great thing to show. So um, you can email us or comment and we can send that to you to look at. Can the LDS, we as a church, give up the church? Well, only the Lord can tell you that. That's a really good question. Um, there are other podcasts addressing those more sensitive topics. That's definitely a sensitive topic. And uh, I would say we have to come under Christ to be saved. And we have to understand our awful situation, as Moroni said. And we have to be looking for the servant who will come in the name of the Lord to redeem his children and to redeem Zion. Those things are definitely absolutes according to Scripture. The answer to your question is going to be 100% individualized because we have to be willing to do what the Lord says. Um, and I, I can't I can't answer anything otherwise, but it's a really good question. So one more question if we have it. If not, we will wrap it up and would love to have more open discussion in our Zoom. So I think that's it for there. And if you have a question, we missed it, just jump over onto our Zoom conversation. Uh, okay, one more here. What do you think of the general answer that the new and everlasting covenant just means all the commandments and covenant path as a whole? All the covenant, all the commandments and covenant path as a whole. Well, um, we have that restatement in section 133, and we have it in a couple other places. That was just one example of the Lord in, um, substituting everlasting covenant for everlasting gospel, which would be the covenant path as a whole, but the whole covenant path and all the commandments are all designed just to save us. And the whole idea of the new and everlasting covenant is to qualify us to be saved. He's, we saw that in second Nephi. We saw that uh, in several places where the Lord only saves those with a broken heart and a contrite spirit. And if that's what the gospel is for, if that's what the covenant path is for to be saved. Um, then, then it stands it stands in that as a placeholder for all of that is like a summary. So thanks guys for joining. We'll see you over there on the, the zoom.